So many of us go through life wanting more, believing if we just had more stuff, more things, more money, then we'd be happy. The problem is, we don't realize that what we have isn't who we are. Instead of trying to get rich, we must realize that we already are rich. So with God's help, it's time to be rich in what matters most. Well, welcome. We're in week three of our series, How to Be Rich, and we've been talking about this topic in conversations. So crowd participation, let me see it. How many of you know you've been here and you know, yeah, when it comes down to it, uh, I'm rich, right? All of us can have our hands up because we've done the research. We know no matter how you break it down, when you look at the entire wealth across the world, we're in the top 1%. We're in the top 5%, no matter where you fall in, because by the simple virtue of the fact that we live where we live, we're rich. We're blessed beyond measure, which is really good news, right? Because there's that imaginary line out there, and let me just tell you, you've arrived, right? You've crossed the line. Congratulations, you're rich. There's also a bad news piece to that, right? Which is that in Scripture, Jesus and the Holy Scripture have some instructions about how we're supposed to handle ourselves, how we're supposed to conduct ourselves if we fall into that category. So we've been spending some time in 1 Timothy chapter 6 looking at these couple of verses. Here's what it says. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Because we've been talking about this idea that as wealth increases, as our riches increase, that generosity doesn't necessarily increase by the same fold. As a matter of fact, it seems that the wealthier we get, the more stingy we become, the more our riches and our wealth invade those areas of our hearts. And so last week, we kind of opened that up and we said, hey, money promises, but really it's God who provides for us. We have to trust in God, not in our riches. And we had some more conversations, both in our small groups and going on, and we ended with this kind of dose of reality from Matthew chapter 6. Let me remind you of it. Jesus is speaking, and he says this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And listen to this, you cannot serve both God and money which is a really interesting statement as you think about this in context, as you think about all of the things that maybe Jesus could have said, right? You can't serve God and people. No, he doesn't say that. He says you can't serve God and politics. No, he doesn't say that either. You can't serve God and sin. No, he really doesn't say that either. He says there's a special relationship. There's something that happens when it comes to our finances and our wealth. He says you specifically cannot serve God and money, which is just really interesting to kind of point out and to parse out there together. Jesus seems to make this really significant point, and if I'm honest, I think that the reason is because money is so available, right? Money is something that we need to live. It purchases our food. It allows us to live in places like this, and so we kind of become comfortable with money. We become comfortable with the idea that our money, that our bank accounts, that the things that our job can afford us are really what provides for us. Remember we told that story last week about a snake that starts out maybe cute and little. I don't know that snakes are ever cute, but they're certainly little. And we said that it grows up though into something that seeks to devour you, both body and soul. And so Jesus seems to draw this strong correlation, not only in this scripture, um, but all around him, that you can't serve both God and and money. 
and being typical rich people, right? No matter what Hollywood movie you've seen, insert the stereotype here, right? Rich people, people who have wealth and resources are always concerned that somebody's coming after their hard-earned cash. And so we take that model that's presented to us of fighting for our income, fighting for our wealth. And then when God wants to talk to us about money, we kind of put up a wall and we say, see, he's just after our stuff. Nothing could be further from the truth. And we're going to explore that idea today. But here's Jesus's own word in John 10.10. He says, hey, the thief, the adversary, the enemy, the person who does harm, he comes to, to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In other words, Jesus says, relax, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? Nobody's coming for your gold. It's all going to be okay. You don't have to hoard it from me. I actually am the provider. As we look back at 1 Timothy 6, it says he gives us everything for our enjoyment. God says, I'm on your side. I want to bless you. I want to give you good things. Nobody's trying to steal from you. If anybody is, it's the adversary. But he's drawing this point that we can't seek and serve Jesus. We can't reach out to Jesus with one hand and be guarding our wallet with the other. It simply doesn't work. It's impossible to serve, to seek, to cling to, to love God and money. Which kind of leads us to a question, right? How do we know who we serve? How do you like know, you know? Like, is it kind of like being in love? You remember when you were maybe deciding if you should get, uh, if you should propose or if you should get engaged? How do I know if he's the one? And somebody inevitably just said, you just know, right? Is it like that? Is that how we do? We just know that we trust in God to some level and know that we don't trust in our bank account? Or is there more to it? Can we be more certain than that? How do we know whether or not we serve God or money? Because we all have money. We all have resources. We all raised our hands and said, yep, I can own the fact that I'm rich. But how do we know who we're devoted to, who we're sold out to, whom we serve. And so to facilitate that question, I'd like to tell a story. It's a story that we can all relate to. The details may change in your life. They change in mine. But this is a story that's shared by Pastor Kevin Myers, who's a pastor at a church called Twelve Stone in the Atlanta area. And so while the details may be partially his, uh, the story, I think, is one that we can all relate to. But it loses something if you don't tell the story in the first person. So with your permission, I'm going to tell his story story from my point of view, and I think that we'll all learn something as we go through it. Does that sound all right? All right, you're engaged. So here we go. Story goes like this. We were going out to celebrate. My son and I, my son was two at the time, and we were going out to a movie, right? Big celebration. We were celebrating a major moment in our lives, and so it's typical when you go to the movie theaters, right? You pay for the ticket, and then you have to inevitably stop at the concession stand. So a small home mortgage later, we all had pop and popcorn and candy, and we're walking into the movie theater. We were a little bit late, and so the lights were already dimmed, and so we sat in the back of the theater where he wanted to sit so we could get the full theater experience. Keep in mind, he's two at the time. And so as the credits roll and the movie just gets started, we're opening our snacks, we're beginning to eat the things that we purchased. And I reach over ever so casually to grab a few of my son's Skittles that I had bought for him. You would have thought that I had driven a knife through his bone at the blood-curdling scream that he let out. It got, drew everybody's attention in the movie theater. Everybody is staring back, looking at us, going, what in the world is happening back there? Somebody under their breath muttered, child abuse. And I said, not yet, there isn't. Um, but, 
But nonetheless, in that moment, you all know what happened. You all know what the perceived notion was. I reached over to grab just a few of my son's Skittles, and the words that came out of his mouth are ones that are familiar to all of us. He said at the top of his lungs, no, mine. Have you all been there? We've all been there at some point in time, right, with kids or whether you were a kid or maybe even with your friends, depending on the situation where you're trying to figure this out and somebody just goes, no, mine. There are four things that my son forgot in that moment, four things I think that we all can forget from time to time, and I'd just like to walk through those together with you this morning. The first is this, that he forgot who provided them. He forgot who provided his Skittles, right? He's two. He's got no money. He's got no concept of money. He can't drive himself to the movie theater. He can't buy things himself. Without me, there is no movie, right? Come to think of it, without me, there is no him, right? I'm the one who provided for this experience, for this opportunity. There are no Skittles without me. He forgot who provided for him, and in doing so, he forgot whose Skittles they actually were. Number two, he forgot that his father didn't need them. I don't need his Skittles, right? I may not have a ton of wealth, I may not have a ton of money, but I'm rich enough to be able to afford some Skittles, right? I don't need what he has. After all, I provided them for him. If I wanted Skittles of my own, I would simply go out and purchase Skittles. Again, we're talking about Skittles, which means if I wanted to, I could buy multiple packages of Skittles, right? I could fill a bathtub with Skittles, throw all the yellow ones away, and just eat them in front of him to my heart's content, right? I don't need his Skittles. He forgot who provided them. He forgot that I didn't need his Skittles. Number three, he forgot that I could take them. His father could take the Skittles. Now, I don't go to the gym that often, but let me tell you, I can take a two-year-old, right? It doesn't take a lot of effort. If I wanted his Skittles, I could simply take them from him. He'd be powerless to stop me. As a matter of fact, my polite reach over for a few Skittles was actually merciful and kind. Because if I wanted them, I could take them without asking and without recourse. Because they're mine. I provided them. I'm the one who bought them for him, and I don't need his permission. I can take them from him if I wanted to. Lastly, number four, he forgot that he needed to give them voluntarily. He needed to give them of his own permission. He needed to give them because he wanted to. And, and let me tell you why. The reason he needed to give them of his own volition voluntarily is because it affects our relationship. I don't need his Skittles. I could take them if I wanted. I could buy my own Skittles. I can do all of those things. But when he doesn't share them, when he doesn't give them of his own accord, it affects our relationship. Let me tell you what I mean. If he gives them to me, if he shares with me, if he gives back to me what I provided for him, he has a tenderness towards me. He recognizes who I am in his life, that I love him, that I provide for him, that I buy him good things. And when he shares with me, he understands, he shows me that he understands how richly I provide for him. There's an affectionate there. There's a tenderness there. When he refuses, when he withholds, when he does not give me his Skittles, he no longer respects me as his father, as his provider. And consequently, as he grows, he will come to resent my input in his life. Because he forgot that his father provided them, that I didn't need them, and that if I wanted to, I could take them. And in doing so, he forgot that this was not about Skittles, but this was about his heart and his tenderness and affection towards me as his father. Who still thinks we're talking about Skittles? Right? 
God richly provides for us everything that we need. He doesn't need our money. He can create something from nothing. He can take our wealth if he wants it. He is powerful enough and capable enough. But the most important thing is that God needs us to give to him of our own free will because it affects our relationship with him. Remember the question that we asked, how do we know if we trust in our wealth or in our riches or if we trust in God? How do we know if we serve God or money? Well, when your dad asks for some Skittles, what's your response? Do you pull back? Do you scream at the top of your lungs, no, mine? Perhaps you rationalize and you go, you know what, actually dad can afford his own Skittles. God can afford to buy his own stuff. He's got enough resources and so uh, actually God gave me this stuff and so what kind of dad would he be if he gave me something and asked for it back? That kind of sounds like a bad father. So I'm just going to assume that God's good, that he's got it covered and that he's already given to me what he wants me to have. And so you keep your Skittles, not because you love them more than God, not because you serve your Skittles more than God. You just rationalize rather than obey. Or do you choose to share your Skittles with your dad, your wealth, your resources with God freely because you understand that at its core, it's indicative of your relationship with him, right? This conversation isn't about money at all, as we've said habitually over this series. It's about your heart and understanding the Father's love for you and understanding your relationship with him, about your Father's love for you and your maturity as you follow God, trusting in him and whatever he asks you for. So the reality is that this conversation isn't about Skittles and it's not about money either. It's about a God who richly provides and a children and a people who forget. We forget who provides for us. We forget that our money doesn't provide for us, that it doesn't afford us the things that we have, that our hard work isn't at the end of the day what provides for us, but that it's God who richly blesses us in everything that we do. It's about his grace and work in our lives, and he's paid such a great price to redeem us. He's given us birth, as you will, a new spiritual life, and we, like ungrateful children, tend to forget. We tend to pull back and say, no, mine. We think God is after our Skittles. What he's really after is our heart. So how can you tell whether you serve God or money, whether you trust in God to provide you or in your paycheck or in your 401k? How do you handle your Skittles? And when God asks you for some, what do you do with them? Case in point, in the Bible, there's a scriptural principle called tithing. Don't shut down at that word. Tithing is the simple math word. It means 10%, one out of 10, a tenth. That's all that the word means, but it's used to illustrate the principle of guarding our hearts and revering the Lord in our finances. God instructs his people to give the first 10% of their crops to God. He does it as far back as Deuteronomy chapter 14. Let me just read that to you quickly. He says, Be sure to set aside a tenth, a tithe, of all that your fields produce each year. Then you can eat your tithe of grain, new wine, olive oil, the firstborn of your herds and flocks, in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name. Don't miss this, though. So that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. What's the tithe put in place for? Because God needs money? Nope. Because priests, because pastors, because churches, because those people need money? Nope. That's not why it's there. The reason that it's there is that we may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Set aside 10%, return the tithe to God to protect your heart. I love the way that the Living Bible uh, translates that, that last part of the verse. It says, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. 
Right, what's our goal again? How do we know if we trust in God or in our wealth? God says that's easy, just tithe. That's his default mechanism. That's how he says, let me protect you. Let me remind you to revere me always by setting aside the first 10% and giving it to the Lord. In this way, he says, you'll guard your heart. You'll learn to revere the Lord always. You'll put your trust in him to provide. You'll remember all of those things that my son forgot in the movie theater by recognizing that it isn't those things that provide for us, but that it's God's provision in our life. That's real great to say, right? And now come the questions. But what about, and fill in the blank, right? hundred times, a hundred things of excuses. Some of you are Bible scholars, right? And you're going to come up to me after the service, and you're going to say, yeah, but that's Old Testament, right? Jesus comes along, and now we're in the New Testament, right? So we don't have to do any of that Old Testament stuff, which is fantastic. I'd love to have that conversation with you, because every New Testament giver that we see gives over and above 10%. As a matter of fact, they like sell houses and every possession, and they set it at the apostles' feet. So if you want to have that conversation, I'm all good to have a New Testament conversation with you about giving. Now, you may say, well, but that talks about like fields and stuff, and I don't have like fields, or I don't have olive oil or flocks or herds, so clearly we're out of this, right? Nice try. What we're talking about is income, though. God says what provides for you, not your profit, but the things that sustain you and that make things go around, and the real legitimate excuse, right? But I can't afford it. Right? I don't have 10% just lying around in my budget that I'm wondering what to do with. That money just doesn't exist. It's already spent on bills, on houses, on everything that we need to survive and to have the life that we have. And my only question for you today is can you afford not to? Can you afford not to put God first in this area of finances? Because God says clearly you cannot serve God and money. And this reverberates throughout all of Scripture. At one point, God is having a conversation uh, with the prophet Malachi, who set out to inform Israel of why Israel, the nation, God's people, has lost the favor of God. And so this is a common passage that's referenced whenever we talk about this because it's so profound and so powerful. So God is addressing the nation of Israel through the prophet Malachi. And here's what he says. He says, will a mere mortal rob God and yet you rob me? And the people ask, but how? How are we robbing you? And this is the Lord's clear answer. He says, in tithes and offerings. He says, you are under a curse your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. See, when we don't tithe, God says that we're stealing from him. And if we were to sit down over coffee and have a candid conversation and we talk about giving and finance and all those things, we don't think that we're stealing from God. We just think that we're not giving. And God says, no, the first 10% belongs to me. You don't give a tithe. You return the tithe to God. God says, that's stealing. You're robbing me. While we try to rationalize and go, no, I'm not robbing. I'm just not giving. Things are just a little tight right now. When I make more money, when I have more income, then we'll be more generous. But the data is not in our favor. And so you may sit down and have a conversation with your spouse and go, we just can't afford to do that. It's just not in the budget. The numbers don't add up. We simply can't do that. And if I may be so bold, we've established that money is a spiritual issue. And if I may be so bold, let me tell you why I think that might be in each of our cases. 
See, we tend to live in a very scientific world, right? There is right and there is wrong. Everything is empirical evidence and proven. But what if it's not? See, this scripture draws a spiritual connection, a correlation. It says, when you don't tithe, it says you're cursed, which is a really weird word. It's a really scary word. It's something that maybe we just kind of want to dismiss and lay out there. But let me just be perfectly clear about this. God says, I want to bless you, John 10, 10. I want you to have life and life to the full. In 1 Timothy 6, he says, I want you to lay hold of life that is truly life. But when we don't return the tithe, when we steal from God and then ask him to bless us, he's going, I just can't do that. It doesn't work out that way. And so maybe the reason that your finances don't add up to be able to afford tithing is because specifically our finances are under a curse. Let me make that really connectable for you. By that I mean that they simply don't have the favor and blessing of God on them because he's invested in us and we have not been faithful with what he's entrusted to us. Right? Imagine this story. Maybe when you were younger, maybe you have a kid who gets into your wallet and you borrow some money from dad or mom and you go out and blow it on something, you spend it on something that you really, really need, really, really want, right? Or maybe your kid does this to you and you've got to have the sit-down conversation, right? We've got to teach them that stealing is not okay. And so we sit down, we have the conversation. You can't take money that isn't yours. You can't buy things that aren't yours. Your consequence is you lose allowance forever. And uh, that's just how this is going to go down. And the kid says, yeah, okay, I get it. Totally understand. Stealing's bad. I did that. Totally sorry about that. So I need some gas money for my car. Do you think that maybe you could just help me out, right? What's your reaction in that moment? Absolutely not. Are you not hearing the conversation? Like you stole money. If you needed money for your car, you should have thought about that before you stole the money. Yeah, 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 I totally get that. But how am I going to get to work? How am I going to provide for myself? And you try to rationalize that conversation. I don't know if any of you had that conversation. I had that conversation. And I'm preparing to have that with my young children as I know it will happen in the future. But the reality is, it's going, is I'm going, it's not that I don't understand your need. It's not that I don't have the money to provide for you. It's not that I don't want to give you the resources so that you can do all of those things. I just have to teach you in that moment that when you steal from me, that I can't bless you. When you take what isn't yours and use it for yourself and then ask for more, I cannot bless and honor that. Makes sense on a human level. Let's apply it to our godly father. If God were just to write us blank checks every single time we asked for things, would that make him a bad or a good father? I don't know. Let's find out, right? Go ahead, God. Write the blank check and we'll see if that makes you good or bad. The reality is it makes him a bad father, right? If he writes blank checks with no accountability, no teaching, no opportunity there, it makes him a negligent father. By contrast, a good father provides and blesses and gives, but he will not allow stealing. He will not allow theft. He will not allow those things to exist. He has to teach us what it is to be good stewards and to be faithful with what we've been given. And so when it comes to this conversation, in God's eyes we would say that we're stealing, but in our eyes we say, no, we're just, not, we're just not quite giving to the degree that we want to. But again, I would remind you that God's not after taking from you, God's after giving to you. He says in verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. See, we think this is going to tank the ship. We think we won't be able to pay for food or bills or fill in the blank. And God says, I've got more to give you. I just can't give it to a thief. 
I just can't give it to somebody who doesn't honor me and trust me in the things that I've already commanded them. And you hear it in his voice, test me in this, try me in this. I want to bless you, not only in financially, but in ways that really matters. We're going to get to next week in this series. I'm after your heart and I have to teach you that stealing is bad, that money will not fulfill you, and that I alone am your provider. Test me in this. I would add, please. I think that's what God is saying. Please let me provide for you. Please let me teach you how this area of life and finances works in our world today. And so here's my deal. At this point, it'd be really easy to go forward with an emotional plea to make this feel like if you're not tithing, you're totally disobeying God and he doesn't love you anymore and all this and that and the other thing. It'd be real easy to just keep going down this train of thought. I don't like to do emotional pleas. I don't like to manipulate people. So set aside all of that conviction that we just built up to And let me just step aside for you here. I get it, right? And no matter what, when you walk out of this room, I want you to know that God loves you and that he loves you because of nothing you've ever done or haven't done. He just loves you because he loves you because he loves you and he's crazy about you. And what he wants is the best for you. He wants you to have life that is truly life, but it does mean that we have to have this conversation. He's not apologizing about that. He's trying to teach you and educate you and I want to be honest in my place here, which is that I want to help you bridge the gap. I get that the money isn't available. I get that this is hard and scary. I get that it's weird and uncomfortable. I get that you came to church to hear about Jesus and we're talking about your wallet, and I don't like that any more than you do. I think we've all had experiences where the guy with the microphone has made us feel a certain way, and then we respond according to it and walk out feeling yucky and gross and what just happened, And we're not going to do that today. There's no part of me that wants to manipulate anybody into doing anything that is not in line with the work of God in your life and in your heart. But I do feel like I want to serve you and help you in this. And so let me just say it this way. If this is an area that in your life that you feel like God has been speaking to you about... You feel like as we've spoken today or as we've been building in this message or as you read scripture on your own that this is an area that God's put his finger on maybe more than once. I want to help you. I want to serve you. I want to come alongside you as your church and as your people and to say we've all been there. We all get it. This isn't easy for anyone. But I want to equip you. And so to do that, we've made a little, a little challenge card. So the ushers are going to come around and they're going to begin passing those out. When you get it, you can begin reading it and I'll review it together. But essentially, here's what we're going to do. If you're feeling like you need to take this step in your life as a faith step, as a trusting in God step, then we want to be your church and walk right along with you and right alongside you. So I'm going to challenge you, we're going to challenge you to tithe for 90 days, to bring the full tithe into the storehouse, to take 10% of your income and to bring it to the Lord and to set it at his feet for his purposes. We're going to start December 1st and we're going to go through the end of February and challenge you, challenge us all together as a church to do that in accordance with Scripture, in accordance with God's will. And here's the walking alongside part. If at any point within that, if at any point the bills don't line up or you feel like this is just too close or you feel like maybe God hasn't been faithful to his word, then you just come and you just write a letter, you write an email, you make a phone call, and you just say, hey, I need the giving back. And we'll refund any of the monies that you give between that time on December 1st through February 1st, 100% no questions asked. And I want to be really, really clear on this. What we're not saying is that if you give 10% of your income to the church, that God will give you more. This is not give to get. 
That is not biblical. It is not true. It is not good. The reality is what we're doing is saying, if you want to take a faith step and you need somebody to walk alongside with you, we want to be your church and to walk alongside that with you. So the card is there. You can read it. It's just simple instructions that basically says what I just said. And I want to invite you You don't have to fill it out today. I want to invite you to take it home, to have a conversation, to pray about it, to think actually whether this is a step that the Lord would have you do. And if at any point between now and December 1st, you sign that card, drop it in the offering bucket or drop it to the office, and we will walk alongside you as we all begin to do this discipline together. Because what we're after here is to understand the way that God works, is to break perhaps a cursed area of our life, an area where we do not have the full favor of God, and to invite his presence into our lives by obeying what is set out in Scripture for us. And in order to do that, it takes a little bit of help. It takes a little bit of people bridging the gap. And so we want to be your church to do that. And let me just be honest with you. The reason that I tithe is not because it's a requirement. It's not because even that God says to do it. It's because I want God's favor and blessing in everything that I do in my life. And because I take very seriously the effect of my wealth on my soul. And I don't want to rely on my ability to provide for myself. I want to trust that God has a plan And one of the ways that I do that is by returning the first 10% to him. And my invitation, my plea for you this morning is to step into that same freedom with me. To do it not because it's a requirement, but to do it because we want God's favor in our lives. I'm going to walk alongside you for the next 90 days beginning in December and invite you to do that. I just want to end with this one last thought. And I don't care if you walk out of here and decide to tithe one lick or not. That's not going to affect our relationship. I don't care how you decide to do this. I'm just opening the scripture and sharing it with you. But I want this one thing to be very, very clear no matter where you stand. Our money and how we spend it is a spiritual issue. And so you may come to church today and go, I don't think it's right that we talk about money in church. I don't think this, I don't think that. That's fine. But God does. God references it a lot. And the way that we use what he's given us is a spiritual issue. And so, as a spiritual voice in your life, I hope that you'll allow me the permission to challenge you in this area. To invite you into life that is truly life. To invite you into life that is full and to remind you that the Bible says that the thief, that our adversary, is the one who's trying to steal from you. God is trying to provide for you and to teach you what it is to be his child. And because we're rich and because we're blessed, this is a lesson that can often be difficult for us to learn. And I hope that you'll give me the grace and the permission to walk alongside us together as we decide the way in which God may be speaking to us about this issue. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, I get that this conversation is a landmine. I get that it's so easy to offend, it's so easy to take personal, it's so easy to rationalize and defend our actions and to rise up and to say, I don't think that this is God talking, but God, I just want to lay out the scripture for us today. God, to recognize that the place of our riches and our wealth and our money in our life are a spiritual reality and that if we don't deal with them, that they will stunt our growth spiritually. And so, God, I just pray that your spirit would be the one to have conversations from this point forward. God, we trust you to be the one to lead us, that you would convict us where we need conviction, that you would offer us encouragement and support. God, that you would bless us and give us your favor where you've promised that you would. And God, that we would do the hard work, the discipline, the task of coming alongside you, of being obedient, even when we don't understand, even when it doesn't make sense, even when the numbers don't add up. 
and that we would simply praise you and honor you and that we would beseech your favor over what we think life truly is. God, you alone hold the keys. You alone hold the instructions to life. And so I submit not only myself, but us as a congregation to your leading. God, would you lead? Would you speak? Would you move as you see fit? God, and we give you permission. We ask that you would grow us into maturity in the direction that you would have for us, God, and that we would have life that is truly life. And yes, we believe that happens in how we manage and steward the resources that you have provided for us. God, this isn't about Skittles and it isn't about money. God, it is about our relationship with you. And I pray that you'll reveal that to us as we go through this week. It's in your name that we pray and in the mighty name of Jesus and the strong and powerful name of the Holy Spirit. And all God's kids said, amen.